Hello world, and thank you for joining me today. This is Shelley Shearer, and you are listening to the podcast Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, where if I've experienced it, I'm going to share it with you. If I've learned it, I'm going to tell you about it, and always some education along the way. Good morning world, Shelley Shearer here, and welcome to the show. Today I'm going to fly a little off the cuff. I recorded a show yesterday, and I have to say, do you know what? We all have those moments. I delved. I'm not going to lie. I delved into some negative stuff and I thought you know what no one needs to hear that so if you wonder while I if you're a regular listener do I have those moments yes yes I do now I do want to warn you right out front although you probably already guessed when you saw the title this is a um, podcast on fibromyalgia and my next two are going to be on that it was requested by a listener uh, and I have a meaning to, to explain my journey and perhaps delve a little more into that it's a huge part of why our brand change to high functioning habits and and how it's kind of got me through my life. So the best I can do here with this is to simply tell you my journey. Normally when I'm doing these podcasts, I want you to think. I'm usually bringing up ideas, I'm sharing stories from my life for sure, but I'm also trying to relate it to your life, to different circumstances and the world at large. But in this particular case today, this is very much my personal journey and this is very much just the story of what happened to me. So yesterday's podcast was an hour long. I'm going to see if we can do a segment in 30 minute segments, uh, sections, and we'll see if we can kind of get this information out to you. Is it everything? No. It's just a bit of a taste of how my journey progressed and some of the habits and functionalities that I put into place, what worked and what didn't work to really quite honestly I do consider myself and so do my doctors quite a high functioning acute fibromyalgia patient and a lot of that is mindset so right out of the gate I do want to I just want to put that out there a lot of what I talk about on this podcast is about mindset because I truly believe it's all in the mind that old expression of you know the placebo effect and it's all in the mind I celebrate that I truly do because excuse me there's a lot of disciplines now that teach you know, what we think and what becomes what, you know, how, we start this cycle and then we start thinking about things, then we start saying things and then they start becoming a reality. So we tend to create what's going on around us a lot from our own mind. That can also work very well with your health. I made a choice to keep moving forward. So a lot of things I talk about today, I just want to qualify There is no magic pill, especially for a disease like fibromyalgia. It's like MS uh, to a certain extent, except that it doesn't usually progress uh, like MS can do. But the bottom line is I've always kind of equated my illness to being about the middle of MS and that's kind of where you stop. And I'm kind of stuck with that for the rest of my life. So you, what I mean by that is you are managing symptoms, you are managing pain, you are managing exhaustion, stress, anxiety, all of the things physically, mentally, nutritionally that you need to do to have the fullest life possible. And I was watching one of the videos, the young man that has the no arms and no legs, inspirational speaker, his name's left my brain, I'm so sorry. Um, it's funny because I quote him quite a lot, or used to in the past, and again, it's kind of a, one of my memory things. There are people with a lot, there always is going to be people with worse afflictions, worse challenges, but that doesn't make your challenges and your afflictions any less in your life, okay? So first of all, right out of the gate is mindset. And the reason I want to talk about a couple of the positive aspects here is because when I tell you my story, you're going to go, whoa, I didn't see that one coming. You were wallowing 
darn straight I was. <laughs> I walled for the better part of a year. But I'm 52, turning 53 years of age this year. And you know what? We all have our moments. You just have to get through them. And the good thing about being aware and making choices is you get through those lower times faster. Failure is not not an option. Life is full of failure. If you didn't have failure, you wouldn't understand success. The light bulb never would have been invented. Okay, guys? So to think that someone has all the answers, they don't. I don't. Uh, it's really just a more of here's the journey. Here's some of the things that worked for me. And I really believe our goal is to come out of the dips quicker and stronger than we were before we we had the failures or had the dips or had the trials and challenges. Okay, so mindset is a huge, huge part of my recovery. It always has been in any part of my life, throughout my life, since uh, my youth. I have faced some serious challenges in my life and it's interesting when you start doing research into fibromyalgia, there is a small list of about a dozen or so things that most fibromyalgia patients have in common and I think I have about seven to nine of them and they include terrible things like sexual abuse, car accidents, living in high, high stress for long periods of time, um, physical trauma. I, I can't even think of all the, the, the things that are on it, but wow, I read that list and I thought, and that is my life. You know, I had an incident when I was uh, 10 or 11 years of age, unfortunately, in a, in a uh, sexual abuse situation. It scarred me for a long, long time in my life. By 16, I had an eating disorder directly attributed to that. I come from a family that faces nothing. My father is a wonderful, strong alpha male, but has zero ability to deal with confrontation. So if he doesn't like something, he just removes it from his life. Unfortunately for me, that was me a couple of times. Uh, I was disowned uh, when I, I've just had a lot of non-supportive situations in my life. So by the time I hit 18, and 19 and was trying to find my way in the world as an adult. By my mid-20s, I really learned the value of friendship much more than I did when I was younger because I had no family to support me. There is not one thing other than some financial things that my family has emotionally or sp even spiritually, because we grew up in a very, very strict household, uh, religious-wise, and yet we didn't practice a damn thing that was preached. We were a family of judgment and black and white, my way or the highway. My poor mom, um, I do feel very sorry for her now in my old age. She lives with a complete obsession about money and hanging on to it and almost to, the, to a you know, situation of greed. But that was because of how she was raised. She knee jerks to how what was going on in her life. She lives in incredible fear. My father has no ability to deal with conflict whatsoever. So he has managed his whole life around not having it, which is quite amazing since he's self-employed. And I certainly learned my entrepreneurism from him. And I have a younger sister that's four years younger that has never lived off my parents' 20 acres since the age of 19, is incredibly entitled, and just the whole world revolves around her. She just really has never grown up, has never really had to deal with the real world. And unfortunately now in her late 40s, really feels quite entitled to everything my parents have given her. And her world is quite very narrow. So I grew up on the outside of all of that, feeling very alone, very misunderstood, and spent a lot of time in my 20s in victim mode because of that. And that was something I really had to overcome because it doesn't matter where you come from. People come from a lot more abusive situations than I do. I mean, in fact, a lot of there's people out there that the parents are the abusers, sexual, physical, mental, whatever. Mine were just, it doesn't matter. It really just doesn't matter. 
we all have our challenges. These are just a brushstroke of some of mine. I managed by the time I was 27 to become engaged to a fellow that was physically abusive and I had to have him arrested for assault. And so really by the time I turned 30, I had been through 15 years of really a fair bit of hell on wheels. But I'd also made a decision that, you know what, I celebrated turning 30. It was just, I was still alive. My father hadn't killed me. Um, I had survived these abusive relationships. And I did, I, I did tend to take on a couple of very emotionally abusive relationships when I was quite younger. I was uh, engaged and knocked up by 22 and married and a single mum by the time I was 24. I wasn't even 25 years of age yet. So, do you know, it just, my gosh, you th I look back on it and I just think, wow, could I have made some better choices? Yep, I certainly could have, but I didn't. So we have to live with what life hands us. And I had to learn to be healthy, learn to be aware so that I could make better choices. I am an incredibly emotional person, made a lot of my decisions younger based on irrational emotion, old decisions. I am a A-type personality, quite honestly. I, I tend to, and I'm a control freak. <laughs> no two ways about it. Mental illness runs rampant through my mother's genetic side of the family. Uh, passed down quite, quite clearly to myself. I have a son that's bipolar and dealing with some real trauma in his life right now at 30. It's funny that's got kind of a, for both of us, seem to be an age of, of uh, awakening and stuff like that. Five years ago, I was, I grew up, oh, sorry, just a little bit more about my childhood, though. I had an amazing childhood in lots of other ways. As much as I felt very isolated and alone and developed some terrible habits and, and disorders because of my emotional and sexual abuse pain, I also, though, had a lot of amazingness. My father and my mom were, you know, really good friends with my dad's uh, side of the family and their kids. I grew up on, the, you know, on dirt bikes and camping and fishing and snowmobiling. I lived a very charmed life in other ways. And although my father, you know, worked a job for most of my life, by the time I was 16, he started his own company and wealth followed. So, you know, we were all given a hand with our first homes and we were, both my sister and I were given a, a car for grad. Do you know what a big thing that was or is, is in anybody's life to have that first asset just handed to you and paid for? Now, it's funny because my sister and I handled it very differently. My sister has taken everything she's been given and, and she's a saver, don't get me wrong. Um, I've taken everything I've been given and she felt it was, you know, her right. It was her, this is what life has offered me. Well, how my, this is how my parents look after me. And they have, I mean, she, she, they, her and her husband eventually inherited the family business and there's nothing about their lives that were not supported or given them to by my parents. I've always had a bit of an attitude from the biblical sense where if I was given something, I felt it was my job to expand upon it. I never felt that it was just my right to hang on to it and be, I was grateful for it, but I also felt I needed to do more with it. That is simply just a character basis of who I am as a person. To whom much is given, much is expected. I've had a little bit of a rough time this last year or two with my family. That, that, that belief has been questioned greatly. Uh, but you know what, there's just times you just have to walk away from that. I'm telling you all of this because I want you to understand where I come from and the things that color my world while I'm dealing with a serious disease. Because it brought up, when I got sick, I brought up a lot of this stuff again, unfortunately, and, that's, and you have to address those things in your life. Fibromyalgia is a disease that is extremely, extremely 
um, affected by your emotions, anxiety, and depression. Unfortunately, it follows a lot of people just because living in constant pain brings that on, even if you didn't suffer from depression before. I have tried a lot of modalities. That's a word used for the type of um, medical and healing systems that are out there, even before I got sick. The five years before I got sick, I was in a very, very high stress job. I worked for a large tele telecommunication company here in Canada, and I ran the IT billing platform of that telecommunications company. The expression, you know, you're not indispensable. I was bad, bad place for a company to ever be, bad place for me to be because, you know, there was just no such thing as you couldn't be at work or couldn't get sick, couldn't have a car accident. And unfortunately, a few years into this contract, I did get into a very serious car accident and had to find coping mechanisms to keep myself at work because they're, one, I'm self-employed, so there's no short-term disability or anything like that. Secondly, there was no one to back me up. By the time I had this car accident, I was four years into this, the company just threw money at me and this billing platform to keep it going, knowing that it would have to go eventually. In fact, I spent three years trying to put myself out of a job because there's no way in my years of, by the way, I have an accounting background and I ran a, I still do actually, I still work bookkeep part-time now, but that career went quite management-wise, project management-wise over the past 10 or 15 years. And, but now I'm back to just basic bookkeeping. I do that out of my home. But Genesis Financial, Genesis Consulting has been my company for 26 years. And finances is, is, is my go-to because it's just something that I have a gift in. And bookkeeping and creating order out of chaos was something that I did quite well. However, I never would put a client in a position and I taught clients, I tended to work with smaller clients under the million dollar gross revenue type positions that no one should be indispensable. And I went right into a contract where this large company made me indispensable. So first of all, that's a very unhealthy place to be for both the company and for you as an employee. It is also, um, it was also a really good lesson on the type of work I didn't enjoy. I discovered sacred gifts in the past uh, number of years and the things that come innately natural to us and what we give back to the world. That's how a sacred gift is defined. I have the sacred gift of hospitality. I have the sacred gift of service. I have the sacred gift of knowledge. I have a bit of the sacred gift of facilitation, but I never put it to work. I never exercised that muscle because I, I learned quite young that I was a bit of a crappy teacher because I get impatient, but I realized that's really not true. My awareness expanded as I got older to realize that actually I just struggle with computer type stuff, teaching that, but other things in life, you know, raising my son, people have commented for years, Shelly, you're so patient, you're so this, you have so much knowledge, you love to impart it. I realized that I got judged on a very simple, singular portion of my life. And I kind of took it to heart and just always said, oh, I'm a terrible teacher. And yet at 16, 17, I worked for the Surrey uh, Parks and Rec, Delta Parks and Rec, the, 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 um, the city council, the school boards type idea. And uh, I taught, I taught babysitting courses. I taught first aid courses. I went into university and had other things I had to teach. So it never occurred to me that there were lots of other areas I was really good at teaching in. I just got this one little bit of feedback quite young in this one area around computers because I get very impatient when people can't I just want to set people aside and say here let me do it myself uh, and I took that judgment to heart okay so there's a bit there's a bit about me my regular listeners might know about a little bit about this but because of the title of this podcast I figured it's probably going to attract people that have no idea who I am are not regular listeners to the show coulda woulda shoulda which by the way is named that so we do not live in regret uh, it describes a lot large part of my life I overconfidence I could have done that um, would have done that 
now the excuse is set in, should have done that the regret. That is where the title of the show comes from. Overconfidence, excuses, regret. It was a cycle in sometimes in my life when I was younger. It can be a cycle in a lot of people's lives. And that is why the show is called that. Okay, so where are we? I've been self-employed, you know, since my mid to late 20s, since about 27 years of age. Still own that company today. Living Well with Shell is my health and wellness company. Got involved with it because of a network marketing company I joined many years ago. Uh, five or six maybe at this point, maybe even a little bit longer. I've been sick for four years now, so maybe almost six or seven years. Wow, I can't believe how much how time has flown. I have designed and built a custom-built home a block down the street. I'll talk about that because it played a huge part in how our lives changed when I got sick. I've made a lot of dreams come true, <laughs> and, and I'm very, very fortunate. I have a bright mind, I have a lot of common sense, and I've used them to my advantage. The unfortunate part is, like I say, I'm very emotional. I grew up with a lot of negative emotional abuse about who I was as a person, so, and I don't have a formal, I have an education in certain areas of my education, but I never finished a four-year degree, like all my friends did, even just a Bachelor of Arts. I didn't do that. I went into university for two years doing sciences, looking to become a physical therapist, and burnt out. You can see there's a bit of a pattern here, right? Overachiever. It's funny, when I got sick and I was crashing all the time, my husband looked at me and says, but you've always crashed. But crashing once a year to crashing once a week or once every month was very, very different. But he's right, the pattern was always there. So patterns I find really interesting and I'm having a really fun time exploring those with my son. I know fun might not be the right word, but he is so positive about his recovery that right now that he's been spending a lot of time really looking at the pattern in his life, even discussing, we have a very open relationship, his childhood things we did right and wrong, things we missed. There's no blame. It's just awareness. And whereas my family, when you talk, there's always blame. But with my son and I, we've worked very hard on changing that dynamic because if you can't talk openly and explore things right or wrong without blame, you don't learn. So the goal here is to learn, move forward and, and recognize, okay? And especially the patterns. So obviously I have some patterns in my life and I've turned them, some of them into a lot of, like I say, high functioning habits things that keep me successful, keep the goalposts in place. Discipline is a huge part of what keeps me functioning and healthy. And if you are unwilling to bring those types of disciplines into your life, you are going to struggle with your illness. So five years ago, before I got sick, I was still playing squash. I was the captain of my squash team. I was never a great squash player, just very enthusiastic. I could serve like nobody's business though. I just, um, I'm, a, I'm a, not a big woman. I'm a five foot four. Uh, and I wear about a size eight, but I'm really strong. I'm uh, really strong in the leg, upper body, because of my, how my, my father's built. It was just, we're kind of built that way. Mack truck, I used to like to call it. And I like learning to drink wine, which I did later in life. I grew up with no alcohol in my household. I never started with the white wine spritzers. I went straight to a full body Cabernet. Well, do you know what? Squash was the same deal. Golf was the same deal for me. I learned from men. So it never occurred to me that my driver wasn't something I should use. It never occurred to me to serve underhand like a girl. I was taught to play squash by a six foot, really fit guy and my ex-fiance actually. And I serve overhand and I'm very powerful. <laughs> so it really was my strongest part of the game. Like I say, I'm not really that fast. I got kind of short legs and I'm, I'm built for, I'm, I'm not built for speed. I'm built for power. So, uh, 
I jogged, but really nothing very quickly. It was really just getting involved in sun runs or 5K runs. It was just kind of a challenge. But I grew up, you know, in my 20s and 30s, it was all about rollerblading and outdoor activities. I mountain biked extensively when I was younger and played squash. A lot of, you notice there's a lot of solitary type things here. I'm not a big team person. I didn't grow up with that stuff growing up. It was a sin to be on teams when I was younger because all the games were played on Sundays and we were not allowed to do anything but go to church on Sunday. So I never grew up with that team mentality. I had to learn that as an adult. And boy, let me tell you, I have learned it well because my whole life exists with the team. Uh, I've had to let go of the, the fact that I do not have the family I, I needed and wish I had and that they have really quite abandoned me in my later life. Um, you, sometimes you just have to accept these things. And the reason I bring this up, and this is why I had to re-record the last podcast because I got a little bitter about it, was I have coached people because I have people in my, in my treatment room all the time for my ionic foot baths. I tend to attract people with autoimmune disorders and fibro. It just kind of, kind of goes with the deal, depression. I guess maybe it's what the universe knows I can relate to. So I tend to bring those kind of people into my clinic. And there's always a common denominator a lot of the time. And people are always so frustrated. My family doesn't understand. I don't understand, you know, why they don't understand. Fibro is an invisible disease. And it's, it is true. It is highly overdiagnosed. I'm going to explain to you why I say that. Because it is. But what happened in my life in the same situation. And with the stress and stuff that North Americans and even all over the world are going under, our bodies are changing. We're not getting the nutrition we did 100 years ago. We are under incredible stress. And I live in a place in the world that international forces have caused our housing prices to go through the roof. Our government is not protecting the Canadians as citizens. So we are finding it very difficult to live in this part of the world. It is very, very expensive. Both parents have to work. Our children will never have homes unless they win the lottery or an inheritance or get very, very good jobs. They will live in condos and townhouses. Land prices here in where I live are insane. Absolutely insane. So... There's just this all, there's a lot of pressure going on in the world around us. There's a lot of unsettling things with what's been going on around the world with politics and wars and religion. And it's, you know what, if you think it doesn't affect you, you're wrong. It all subconsciously affects you. You see it on the news every night. And these things are all playing havoc with our physical bodies. And in turn, our physical bodies are manifesting disease. It's very, very unfortunate. So five years ago, I'm this very, very active, although highly stressed <laughs> person. And I leave this uh, large company finally. And a week, a couple weeks after I've left work in early January, I can't get out of bed. I literally I slept for two days and I, this was kind of going on and on. And I'm thinking, what is wrong? So I haul myself off to the doctor. We have some blood work done and a few other tests. And my adrenal glands are functioning at 14%. Now, I've always been one of those people that tends to, unfortunately, leave things a little bit to the last minute, and then I operate really, really highly in a stressful deadline situation. Grossly unhealthy, but I've lived a lot, excuse me, a lot of my life that way. Well, do you know what? That's all great when you're young, 20s and 30s, and you think you're Superman, but let me tell you what happens when you're 30, 40, and 50. That all catches up with you. So if I have any young listeners, please, please heed my warning. Your body will break down. You are going to get old. And your spirit does not. I look in the mirror and my spirit is still 25 years of age and my face is 53. And let me tell you, it's a rough one. <laughs> but I'm not going into it blind because my aunt warned me about that in my late 20s, early 30s. She says, Shelly, your, your spirit, your essence of you does not age. Just the, just the carrier, 
box that we got stuck in for, you know, 50 to 100 years on this earth is what ages. So I kind of had that in my back of my mind to begin with, which is, you know, that's actually was a good thing. It was a wonderful thing. My aunt told me that when we were younger. So I'm very active, very stressed though, and my body breaks down. So I spend about three months under my doctor's care. Now, the first thing I want to mention, when I mention the word doctors, I have a team. They are not always medical doctors. Uh, they are, but a lot of them all are holistic, alternative type doctors. My GP, my general practitioner, or my medical doctor, MD, uh, here in Canada, they are doctors that are trained nowadays by the pharmaceutical companies. They are pill pushers. They diagnose and give you medication. And true, true health doesn't work that way, okay? Medicine is sick care. Food is health care. You need to accept that if you want to be as healthy as you can be. And if you cannot, you're going to struggle with your illness, in my opinion. Because everyone I know that is medicated to the hilt does not function as well as I do off medication. Okay? Now, so I just wanted to point that out. So I have natu a natural path, and you have to search for these people. They are no different than finding a good doctor. I had an amazing doctor when I was younger, uh, the one that birthed my son, but he retired. He actually went into alternative cancer medication at a huge clinic at UBC. And Dr. Yeoman's, and well, I'm 53 now, so he's got to be retired, but actually I found him practicing up on the uh, west coast of, of BC in a small, small town. So luckily, despite the fact that he's 70 or whatever, he is still actively out there. He was amazing. He was, even though he was an MD, he was a very holistically whole-minded man. He actually spent time in Peru as a child growing up. Family was, his father was stationed there doing something I cannot remember. So he has a very open mind to things beyond medical practice. He was the first person that introduced me to acupuncture. I had a terrible car accident when I was very, quite young, like early 20s uh, with my ex-husband. And it caused damage that we didn't even realize till years later when I literally, again, couldn't get out of bed one morning two years after the accident. He did trigger point therapy. He, he talked to me. Um, he believed in finding answers, not just medicating. So, and he, he was just amazing. He understood the cause of stress on the body. So he was, he, he left, he left me with a pretty high bar when it came to medical doctors. And then you go out into the world, to the clinics, and you just hear horror stories from people going, where are these idiots getting their education? And who are they as human beings? Well, I have a pretty good doctor. There's no Dr. Yeomans, but I have a pretty darn good doctor now. So I work with him, but you need, need to see those types of doctors for blood tests and medications and things like that, which you will often need in your life. Medications are a stepping stone. They are not the end all and be all in most cases, but there are times when your depression, your pain, your anxiety is so far in the toilet that if you do not get a step up out of that, you're going to drown. Okay. So medication has its place. Do not think that it does not. It does but you must be aware of what you're putting in your body and you must be aware of your body because everybody is different and everybody reacts to medication slightly different, okay? I'm just gonna, excuse me, take a drink. This is a little different than my normal, normal podcast. There's a bit of a, almost like an urgency and I'm running through my mind of, of how things unrolled for the past number of years and I just, I just don't wanna miss anything for you as listeners that, that have taken the time to find out how I, how I manage my life. So I spent three years getting better, uh, three months getting better, uh, supplementation, huge supplementation, rest, and dealing with my natural path. 
And my chiropractor is also a kinesiologist and they are full body health people believe in how the fluid moves in the body made such a huge difference. We were introduced to them again after my husband had a terrible car accident, suffered a almost debilitating concussion. And I wasn't really recovering. My lower back wasn't recovering from the same car accident. We were T-boned. Lucky we lived through it, actually. A van full of people T-boned us. And thank God we drove a Saab at the time. It was the only thing that saved our lives. If we had been in anything, if we'd been in a Honda Civic, my husband would not have walked away from that car accident. So we were introduced to these doctors. They deal with putting the huge, um, uh, sorry, guys. Um, come on, Shelly. Athletes back on the ice after concussions, okay? They're known for it. They are one of only three clinics across Canada that deal in this sort of specialization. It's becoming more and more common now. More and more doctors get, getting educated in this area. But boy, there, there wasn't a lot of them at the time, and there still isn't a lot now. Okay, so I am now in the most amazing care that I could be in. Folks, I'm sorry, but this podcast did not load up in its entirety. Please download part two for the second part. I will try and do these in smaller segments and you can listen to them in smaller clumps. Thank you.